what's up everybody welcome back to martial media montage episode 107 where i'm going to be talking a few different movies uh dead pit matt rife natural selection uh, stand-up comedy recently released on netflix asteroid city thanksgiving 2023 eli roth shallow grave with Ian mcgregor 1994 1995 depending on which uh, source you look at chucky 2019 mark hamill's voice uh, i'm gonna save this holiday one for uh I recently uh, rewatched it. I mean, who hasn't seen it, right? It's a classic. But I recently uh, rewatched it with some buddies on uh, Thanksgiving, and uh, I will save that for a talk with uh, Rich, and uh, he and I can talk about holiday films. But and then I watched. I know what you did last summer. I haven't seen that probably since I was a kid when it came out or rented it at Blockbuster, and it's whatever. But uh, I'm gonna talk about it anyway. And then a uh, scary movie, the original, the first one, because a buddy of mine we watched the last two. Uh, yesterday at work, uh, when it was like after hours, we were like, he was like, dude, I want to watch something, uh, kind of creepy that I haven't seen, in a, you know, before. And I'm like, all right, well, I haven't seen, I know what you did last summer, probably 20 years since it came out. And then about halfway, three quarters of the way through, we were like, ah, eh, whatever, let's throw on something funny. So we threw on a scary movie and, uh, it still holds up. It's a classic. There's always stuff you miss from those stupid parody spoof comedies. And then uh, I beat, Mario Wonder, uh, well worth your time. The power-ups are incredible. The fact that you can play as like Daisy, uh, Peach, Luigi, Mario, um, the, a rabbit, Yoshi, different toads. Uh, you get the elephant power-up where you can um, basically run through everything. You get the Wonder Flower, which is basically like a level within a level. It's awesome. You have to get the uh, the coins. You have to get the Wonder or the uh, flower at the end. I mean, sometimes certain levels have like two or three different Wonder Flowers, which permits you to open up a certain door or a certain level. Uh, it almost has like RPG, like 2D platforming elements. It's it's well worth your time. It's fun. There's a a drill power up. There's a, a bubble flower power up where you can throw the bubble and enemies will turn into coins. You can jump on the bubble to get to where you need to. Like there's different little badges that you can attach to yourself. Like jump higher, jump further, uh, float while you jump. Like it's it's just really cool. Well worth your time. It's a very fun 2D platform. I'm glad that I played it and beat it. And I was like, should I start a JRPG? No. <laughs> not not just yet well i mean i was playing a little bit of legend dragoon on a ps3 before the uh well i think the store is still up uh, it's a playstation one game i think it's on the ps3 uh, network you can get it for probably five ten bucks well worth your time it's a classic playstation one uh jrpg i'm only a couple hours into it maybe two or three uh i think i not necessarily got stuck i think i got low on hp and i saved it and i was like all right i'll get to this later but uh it's it's a really fun uh contender to be equivalent to uh, Final Fantasy VII at the time. It's a four-disc set made by, I believe, Squaresoft, if I'm not mistaken, on PlayStation 1, but it's on the PS3 network, and uh, I was liking that. Otherwise, uh, I've just been playing the last couple days uh, New Super Lucky's Tale. It's a 3D platformer. Love me some old-school platformers, uh, or at least in the same vein of like looking like a PlayStation 1, Sega Saturn era, maybe even N64 era platformer. And uh, New Super Lucky's Tale, it's it's rather simplistic in its gameplay. It's almost childish. There's kind of a little bit of humor. The bosses are really easy. The levels are really easy. I've only died maybe two or three times, but it's it's fun. I mean, I'm enjoying it. I'm glad it was on sale when I got it. I think it was maybe like 10, 15 bucks. Otherwise, when you see it like in box at a retro game store or GameStop for that matter, it's, you know, like 30 bucks. And I'm like, well, I'm glad I paid half of that because it's, it's all right. It's not bad, but I made it, I don't know, a couple hours in. I'm, I'm guessing maybe I'm about a quarter to halfway through. Uh, there's some puzzle elements, too, in order to unlock certain pages to your book in order to progress the game. And that aspect is kind of fun. They're a little challenging, not really all that much. I look at it for maybe five minutes. And I'm like, okay, I got it figured out. And then I, you know, it's nothing like Resident Evil uh, puzzles or, I don't know, insert difficult game with puzzles here. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so... 
those are the movies I'm talking about. Those are the games that I was playing. Otherwise, no recent pickups. I haven't really picked up anything other than maybe, like, I think, I don't know, a pair of Vans for, like, $13 at a, a thrift store. whoop de doo if I didn't talk about that last time I was on this. And if I did, well, then I guess I'm a broken record or I'm repeating myself, repeating myself, repeating myself. Anyway, episode 107 coming at you with these movies and those games that I was playing. All right, everybody, let's get into it. Let's go. everybody let's get into the first film that i watched and i thoroughly enjoyed this one kind of went under the radar in terms of uh i guess like a supernatural zombie type flick from the 80s and i'm always down to find obscure films from the 80s that are horror related that i'm like whoa i've never heard of this or seen it <clears throat> called the dead pit 1989 rated r hour 35 has a 5.3 out of 2.9 and that's relatively high for a uh, horror film of the uh, tail end of the uh, 80s if you ask me and i i'd say it's it's worth that uh the story itself is interesting. There's gore where it needs to be. There's not as much as I would prefer. That's just me or in terms of, I guess, practical effects or just really cool uh, oversensitized visual visualizations and just craziness. But uh, the cover art is awesome. I mean, the uh, lead you know, female actress in it, she's a babe. And yes, you do get to see her naked briefly. Uh, when the dead start to walk, you better start running is the uh, tagline. Uh, in terms of, I guess, zombies being freed from this, like, uh, dead pit, if you will, uh, which I will explain here momentarily, there's really only maybe, like, 30 or 40 of them. I, I don't know. I feel like whenever I see, like, a zombie horde, or at least I envision one, I expect more than that. Maybe they couldn't afford more people, or those are just extras. I don't know. But, uh, we will find out, and, and we will discuss it. Uh, the, uh, plot here is the arrival of an amnesiac, amnesiac, excuse me, patient in a psychiatric hospital somehow frees a mad doctor who was shot and entombed with his fiendish experiments in an abandoned wing of the asylum 20 years before, directed by Brett Leonard. Let's see what else this individual did, because I don't recognize the name. Recognize the face? He looks like, I don't know, borderline like an Italian like Sean Connery. <laughs> uh, he did... Ooh, he was one of the performers. Uncredited, though, in a Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and he directed The Lawnmower Man iconically a bad cult classic in my uh, opinion which came out three years later the lawnmower man has a 5.4 it's it's just a strange film man jeff fahey and pierce brosnan the game is nothing to brag about either but i mean if you like it you like it otherwise it's honestly not my cup of tea uh jeremy slate plays dr gerald uh, gerald swan in this he's a uh, the main doctor who's essentially assessing um jane doe which is the uh, cheryl lawson's name in this film um and yeah i mean it's it's interesting uh otherwise there's really nobody else to i guess i don't know mention uh more like this is what uh, imdb is suggesting is a cemetery of terror which i recall that one that one was pretty cool uh the kindred i haven't watched that one yet enigma i believe is a lucio fulci film if i'm not mistaken it might be argento i want to say it's fulci i don't think it's argento but uh, enigma was cool I think I've seen Cemetery of Terror. I don't know if I've watched The Kindred yet, but anyway, storyline here, a little uh, more of a synopsis for you. A renegade doctor is shot dead and entombed with his fiendish experiments in the basement of an abandoned wing of a mental hospital. 20 years later, a mysterious woman is admitted with amnesia, Jane Doe's character, and her arrival is marked by an earthquake which cracks the seal to the dead pit, freeing the evil doctor to continue his work and be mad. I added that last part. I thought it was dumb. Taglines here, drop in anytime. I mean, they're both they're both solid stuff, man. Like when the dead start, you know, run or uh, when the wet, dead wake up, you better start running, whatever the hell it was. All right. Anyway, trivially, let's see what we got here. <clears throat> On the code, uh, Red DVD released the film lead actress Cheryl Lawson reveals why her character spends a portion of the film in just a tiny tank top and bikini panties, which pff, I'm not complaining. <laughs> 
Apparently, Lawson felt the normal-sized hospital gown made her look large, so she cut part of it off. The more her outfit was washed, the more the gown shrank and the underwear became tighter. Also, not complaining. Much to the delight and amusement of the film crew. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't blame him. She was a fantastic-looking woman. Anyway, the film sold well on video due to a gimmick on the original VHS. The zombie's eyes could flash green at the touch of a button. That's pretty cool, actually. Uh, filmed in the high security wing of Agnew State Hospital, uh, Milpitas, California. I'm from Cali, and I couldn't even tell you where that is. Moving on. The wing was closed down for many years, had no power, and used to uh, house the most violent and dangerous patients. Since most of the movie was filmed at night, the empty wing really added a very creepy feel to the process. Mwah-ah-ah. The infamous pin-in-the-brain scene was cut from the American release for being too graphic. Well, I don't know what version I watched, uh, and I got to see that, so I enjoyed that. Anyway. Lastly, the recreational room where Jane meets Chris is the exact same location Green Day shot their music video for Basket Case. That's pretty cool. I don't know if Green Day is uh, horror enthusiasts or they just so happen to be coincidental. But, I mean, regardless, that's cool. I got more power to you, Trey Cool, Billy Joe, and uh, uh, Mike Durnt, I believe, is the bassist, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, anyway, Green Day is cool. Or at least old Green Day was, you know. Released October 27th, 1989. Also known as just Dead Pit, minus the... I mean, either way, it works. Uh, I think the is a little more definitive rather than just, oh, I watched Dead Pit. Like, I don't know. Dead Pit to me just sounds like a TV show that is like knockoff Walking Dead or something. I don't know. That's just me. Filmed in Garnett Rideout Engineering Special Effects Studio, Santa Cruz, California, for the special effects sequences. And I believe it because most films, I feel like, are usually filmed in California, if not maybe like 60-70% of them. Its budget was $350,000 estimated. In terms of a gross, uh, there is nothing yet. Uh, maybe Wikipedia will tell me otherwise. That being said, let's uh, move right along to Wikipedia. <clears throat> An American horror uh, film co-written and directed by Brett Leonard, as I stated, in his directorial debut three years prior to Lawnmower Man. Okay. Cheryl Lawson stars as the patient, as I've mentioned, who previously worked at uh, the asylum played by Danny Gauchner. What a, what a name. Filming took place at Agnew's uh, Development Center in Santa Clara, California. I know exactly where that's at. Ken Kessie had previously used as the setting for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Okay, that makes a lot of sense as well. I have nothing in terms of a uh, um, film gross, I guess, if you will. But a home video. The original U.S. Uh, VHS release from Imperial Entertainment housed the film in a relief cover that lit up the eyes, as I already mentioned. The U.S. company Code Red released DVD June 17, 2008. Special features include commentary... Uh, the version released by Code Red is an unrated director's cut featuring six additional minutes of cut footage. Interesting. Code Red released the film on Blu-ray in association with Dark Force Entertainment on July 4th, 2019. Two separate sets are available with different artwork, while both sets contain a slipcover. I always think it's cool when they do, like, slipcovers like that. I think I have, um, what is it, The Howling has, like, a lenticular uh, slipcover on it. And a lot of those, like, Universal Monster ones that I picked up have uh, slipcovers as well. So it's just... It adds to the ambiance, you know, because you want to put it on your shelf and, you know, whether you show off to your friends or you want to look at it too, like, oh, that's a statement. It, it looks fucking cool. Uh, anyway, back to the Code Red DVD. While it features the same cast and crew interview as the DVD, excluding all other special features. That kind of sucks. <clears throat> Receptively. Receiving positive reviews upon release from Fangoria and Slaughterhouse Fangoria. Later included the film in its best 101 horror movies you've never seen. Yes, which I think is where I actually found this via... YouTube, if I'm not mistaken, 101 horror films, or it might have been like 50 horror films you've never seen or heard of, something like that. Anyway, where they wrote, the serious attempt at horror never quite hit its mark, agreed, evolving into a series of gory laughs, yeah, it's very much like a horror comedy, uh, un or, uh, 
inadvertently and unintentionally, I suppose, which is what is so endearing about it. Drive-in critic Joe Bob Briggs, kicks ass, gave the film four stars, his highest rating, and praised lead Cheryl uh, Lawson's screaming ability. Steve Martin, a dread central, rated it two and a half stars and wrote, for me, Dead Pit is more than a guilty pleasure. It's a movie so bad that it's hard not to enjoy it. Yeah, I can almost get on board with that. It, it, it was honestly just kind of like all over the place, but I'm still kind of glad that I watched it because it was intriguing nonetheless. I've definitely watched, uh, how do I phrase this? I guess good, good, bad horror films that just made more sense. Anyway, uh, Mark Patterson of Brutal as Hell called it low-budget filmmaking at its finest. Bill Gibron of DVD Talk rated it two and a half, or excuse me, two out of five stars and described it as a simple slasher film. Eh, it's not really a slasher, but okay. Appended by a Lucio Fulci-inspired unnecessary unleashing of the living dead. Okay, that aspect I can get on board with. The zombie movie encyclopedia academic Peter Dendel wrote, Leonard's uninvolving psychological horror revels in shock effects and disrupted narrative logic. Agreed. Poured into the tired dream world and asylum settings of Nightmare on Elm Street and Hellbound. Uh, Hellbound, Hellraiser being the uh, sequel, the uh, second film. That's all I have on uh, The Dead Pit. Let me uh, take a quick break real quick, guys, and I will come right back and talk about the rest of this stuff. All right, only one page on this, but uh, I decided to give it a shot because I've definitely enjoyed his uh, crowd work. Uh, I think he's only maybe 28, 29 years old, but uh, Matt Reif, Natural Selection, a uh, Netflix special. I feel like his, I'm, not, I'm really not trying to be a harsh critic because I like the guy. He's He is funny in his own right, but that's honestly, I feel like his best work is strictly just crowd work. I mean, it's a TV special, just came out recently. It's only an hour and four minutes. It's TV MA, of course, you know, because he curses and says some obscene things, you know, but it's funny. It only has a 4.9 out of 1800, and I give it maybe like a five, five and a half or something. It, it's, I don't know, man. I feel like he does best in like small little settings, or maybe if he just, well, because then again, if you want to go, let's just say Madison Square Garden, you're not going to want to just see crowd work for an hour and a half. You want to see what else chops this guy has, which I understand as well, but I mean, he's been doing it for 10, 12 years, and it is funny, but it's just, I don't know, maybe he, like, drags on too much, or the topics he's talking about aren't really that funny. Maybe he needs to go into, like, TV or something. I don't know, kind of like what, like, Little Dicky did or whatever, but it, it is funny, but it's not like, you know, Richard Pryor, Robin Williams, I don't know, uh, you know, insert comedian, comedian here, uh, whatever. You guys understand where I'm coming from, but uh, directed by Eric Griffin. Uh, obviously written by Matt Reif. Uh, Matt embarks on a sold-out world tour, now on his first Netflix comedy special. Matt leaves no topic untouched. Uh, that's not true. He doesn't talk about everything. But anyway, from crystals to social media, trolls, that's true, and no audience member spared. Of course. You know, it, it is funny uh, in its own right. I mean, obviously, The Walking Red Flag, a crowd work special, is, it has a six and a half. That one is probably a lot better. Uh, Matt Reif, Matthew Stephen Reif has a 7.2. That one's also probably better according to the uh, ratings here. I don't know. I haven't watched those. I've just seen random crowd work jobs that he's done. But a uh, storyline. Matt embarks on a sold out world tour and his Netflix for a special leaving no time. It's basically the same fucking shit. Okay. All right. I would be interested if there were trivia on this. I don't see anything, but okay. Released November 15th, 2023. It's literally a week and a half old. Um, also known as Matt Reif. Whoa, I can't, I can't speak what language that is. I'm not even going to bother that. <laughs> Filmed in uh, Constitution Hall in uh, Washington, D.C., obviously United States. Not really much on this one, like I said, two and a half minutes. But I watched it and I wanted to talk about it. That yes, it is funny. It's not as funny as you would probably anticipate when you watch like the YouTube algorithm of his jokes. But it, it's, 
you know, I guess judge for yourself. It was okay. All right, moving on. Asteroid City. Speaking of something else that I was like expecting something to be wowed with and uh, Wes Anderson's film, this one, it's like a visual feast. But other than that, I was like, this is really fucking just pretty bland. I, I didn't really care for it. But released this year, PG-13, hour and 45, has a 6.6 .6 out of 87,000. I probably wouldn't give it any more than that personally. Obviously, as I stated, directed by Wes Anderson, following a writer on his world-famous fictional play about a grieving father who travels with his tech-obsessed family to a small rural asteroid city to compete in a junior stargazing event, only to have his worldview disrupted forever. Directed by Wes Anderson, who also did, what, A Lost in Translation, uh, Royal Tenenbaums, Bottle Rocket, uh, Life Aquatic, I mean, um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Isle of Dogs. I mean, all the other ones I'm mentioning, I'm like, okay, those are great artsy films. This one's just literally like a giant art project. It's like a... I don't know, stone fucking college kid who just decided to set up like these 50s looking like Roswell, New Mexico Hills Have Eyes like settings because it's all colorful and like it looks fake like mannequins. I mean, and it has a star studded cast, man. There's so many people in this. Uh, Jason Schwartzman, of course, because he's always in his films. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks. Uh, what? Jeffrey Wright. Uh, Edward Norton's in this. Brian Cranston, who do uh, they both do uh, hosts. Uh, they're kind of like narrators here and there. Uh, who else is in this? Lee Schreiber. I mean, come on. I feel like I haven't seen Lee Schreiber in a while. And he's like smoking and drinking like the whole time. Come on. Which was awesome. It's just, I don't know. And it's got, I believe, uh, what's his name? Mort from uh, Mort's Garage on YouTube. I believe that's his uh, triplets. Like his daughters are in this. And I'm a big, you know, gamer and follower on YouTube and whatnot. And I'm like, oh, cool. His daughters are in this film. I mean, I understand why he promoted it. I'm not trying to be a dick. I like Mort. And his daughters did a good job too, but it's just, I don't know. I, I don't really feel like there was a really good sense of direction in this film. It just didn't really make too much sense. It was just interesting to look at, and that was about it. I could I didn't even really care for I mean, the dialogue here and there was pretty funny between like Jason Schwartzman and uh Scarlett Johansson. Leap Schreiber said some funny things. Uh Tom Hanks kind of had like a small role in this. It really wasn't that important. Edward Norton and Brian Cranston, I feel like, kind of took it home for me in terms of like because they were kind of hosting and narrating the film throughout. And they just kept, like, moving sequences. It just, it was okay. <clears throat> Following a writer on his world-famous fictional play, only it's basically the same uh, synopsis here, so I'm not even going to get into that. Trivially, let's take a look. Of course, oh, that's right, Steve Carell is in this. I don't know why he didn't show up on the uh, credits, but speaking of which, trivia, Bill and Murray was originally cast in Steve Carell's role, but contracted COVID at the time, shortly before filming. He had to withdraw from the production. This is actually the second time Carell has taken over a role from Murray, as Murray was the first choice for the role of Frank in Little Miss Sunshine. I don't think I knew that. That's cool. And, and Little Miss Sunshine was pretty interesting. Uh, I don't really feel like that one gets a lot of credit. Uh, I've only seen it maybe once or twice, probably since it came out. I haven't seen it, so then what? Do the math. Was that 17 going on 18 years now? Wow. Uh, Scarlett Johansson says she had no problem using a body double to film her full nude uh, scene. However, she said it was awkward for Wes Anderson to direct, to direct it. I believe that. Yeah, because I think you see her, I believe it's like, neck down and in my mind kind of like how i saw uh jennifer lawrence in that recent film that i was talking about and she was like yeah i was nude and like and i was like whoa shit so apparently scarlett johansson wasn't naked in this film i thought it was her but how else could you tell like i said you can only see her from the neck down anyway moving on when montana walks around you can hear sound of spurs even though he is not wearing any okay <laughs> Jason Schwartzman used the incomplete on-ramp freeway as a place to relax on set in between takes. I would go up there all the time, sit up there, didn't tell anyone. It's my secret spot. My secret spot in Asteroid City. It's kind of a hidden gem. Okay, Mr. Schwartzman. All right, whatever. Lastly, Brian Cranston said the filming of the movie was very fam uh, familial. 
where the actors would have nightly banquets. He referred to it as fulfilling an actor's dream camp. And said filming this movie was not easy, but was a great experience. I could see that because it seemed like, like I just said, it was like all over the place. I could see it sounding cool on paper, but then it was actually made. You were like, what the hell did I just do? Like, it just, I don't know. It was just dumb. Sorry. You know what? Sorry, not sorry. Anyway, released uh, Borderline six months ago, June 23rd, 2023, as of this recording. Filmed in Chinchon. Why do I sound? I don't know. I'm just going to say Madrid. Madrid, Spain. That's what it, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce the other. I, I even know Spanish. I'm looking at that word like the hell Chinchon. Like it sounds like a Pokemon. What the hell's wrong with me? Anyway, budget 25 million, grossed 53 million. I can, I can see that because he's a well-known uh, director. He's been around a long time. And like I said, a star-studded cast. I mean, who wouldn't want to pay for it? Uh, me, because I didn't pay for it. Anyway, <laughs> Asteroid City premiered at the 76 Cannes Film Festival on May 23rd, a month prior to its actual theatrical release, where it competed for uh, the Palme d'Or, d'Or, I guess, in, in French. Sure. It began a limited theatrical release through Focus Features in the United States on June 16, 2023, expanding to a wide, wide release a week later. It grossed $54 million worldwide on a $25 million budget and received generally positive reviews. <clears throat> I will be right back. All right, sorry about that. I was uh, interrupted there uh, briefly. Uh, Production-wise, via Asteroid City, on September 2020, it was rep reported that Wes Anderson would write and direct a romance film, which he would produce with uh, Jeremy Dawson of American Imperial Pictures, Stephen Rails of Indian Paintbrush. That's really not that intriguing to me. Moving on, principal photography, original plan for Rome, took place in Spain between August and October 2021. COVID-19 safety precautions in place. Several sets were built in Spain, including a vast diorama resembling a desert landscape with the eponymous town of Asteroid City. The film's title was revealed by Bill Murray to be as that of Asteroid City at the BFI London Film Festival in October 2021, two years prior to its release, essentially. Uh, <clears throat> Alexandre Desplat composed the score, his sixth collaboration with uh, Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. <laughs> now I can't get fucking Matrix out of my head. Costume design was by multiple Academy Award winner uh, Melina Cananero in July of 2022 announced that Focus Features would distribute the film reuniting with Mr. Anderson. Now I, I, I gotta say it like that from now on after Moonrise Kingdom 2012. Oh boy, uh, what else we got here? Home Media released digitally July 11th, 2023, two and a half weeks after its theatrical premiere. Wow. A DVD and Blu-ray were released August as of this year, 15th, 2023. It began streaming on Peacock August 11th. Wow. Uh, MPA rating gave the film an R for brief graphic nudity. Well, yeah, sure, whatever. Why not? Whatever. All right, critical response. Review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes uh, apparently likes this film. 75% out of 345 critics reviewing positive with an average of 7 out of 10. Website's consensus reads, Asteroid City is unlikely to win Wes Anderson's many new converts. Agreed. But those who respond to his signature style with this in a return to an immaculately arranged form. Yeah, whatever. Metacritic, using a weighted average, assigned the film 75 out of 100 based on 60 critics, indicating generally favorable reviews. Audiences pulled by CinemaScore, giving the film an average grade of B to an A to F scale. I don't know why people liked it. I, I, maybe I, I don't. I don't. I don't know what I'm missing. I don't know. I've I've talked to another buddy of mine, uh, Andy, and we usually talk like films, and we talk. I mean, I've known him for a couple of years now, and we've talked Wes Anderson before, and even he was like, "Dude, that movie was stupid," and he really liked Wes Anderson. It's just, it's not good. You guys aren't missing much. All right, moving on. I'm over that. All right. 
Thanksgiving 2023 rated R hour 46 has a 7 out of 7.6. Eli Roth did a fantastic job here. Uh, I definitely know that name. Let me see what else he's done in terms of, okay, he did Cabin Fever, produced it, produced Grindhouse, produced Hostel, and he was also Sergeant Donnie Donowitz in Inglorious Bastards. Okay, I know I knew his face. I just couldn't put the name to the face, and now I know Eli Roth. Yeah, he did a fantastic job with this. It has a very much so a uh, 80s kind of slasher vibe to it, and it works. <clears throat> After a Black Friday riot ends in tragedy, a mysterious Thanksgiving-inspired killer terrorizes Plymouth, Massachusetts, the birthplace of the infamous holiday. And that mask that they use, too, is just fucking cool. Oh, man. Patrick Dempsey plays uh, Sheriff Eric Newland. Uh, he's also very uh, familiar, a uh, well-known face. Um, Rick Hoffman plays Thomas Wright. I'm only mentioning people that I recognize. Everybody else is kind of like up-and-coming actors and actresses that I'm like, eh, I don't really recognize you all that much. Anyway. Moving on, there was actually an original Thanksgiving uh, holiday massacre type film. And the tagline on that film was, this year there will be no leftovers. That is, I like that. I haven't watched that one, the original one. I don't know if it is in, in canon with this one or it just happens to be the same name, just coincidentally. I'm sure, obviously, Eli Roth knows, you know, being a horror enthusiast. But anyway, storyline here. The riots in a shopping mall on Black Friday end in a great tragedy. A year later, in the same town of Plymouth, Massachusetts, a mysterious killer goes on a killing spree in the days leading up to the great and bloodthirsty finale on Thanksgiving Day. <clears throat> Taglines, there will be no leftovers. Uh, unless that's... That could just be a uh, old poster. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to look up that film and check it out. I will get back to you guys and let you know. Uh, trivially, let's take a look here. <clears throat> Come on. Work with me. There we go. Based on the mock trailer from Grindhouse 2007, Eli Roth directed Thanksgiving trailer to be shown between the films Planet Terror and Death Proof, same year, 2007, when shown as a double feature. In an interview with Total Film Magazine, filmmaker Eli Roth has said that this film isn't meant to be the film that was advertised in Grindhouse. Interesting. We said, let's pretend that Thanksgiving was a movie from 1980 that was so offensive that every print was destroyed. All the scripts were burned. <clears throat> the director disappeared, the crew members changed their names, one person saved the trailer and uploaded it to the darkest corners of 4chan, and now it's made itself out. Uh, so this is the 2023 reboot. Once we said that, it freed us up. That's pretty cool. The bloody font used for the title card at the end of the credits is the same font used for the original Grindhouse trailer. Alright, a little homage there, that's cool. Eli Ross said the cat in the film was such a good actor and performed on cue that he called him Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> that's funny. The name of the cat is Tonic, and it previously starred in Pet Cemetery 2019. I can't believe I didn't make that alliteration, but okay. The killer uses a voice changer that sounds similar to Eli Roth's narration from the original fake trailer. However, the voice heard in the film is the, from fellow horror director Adam McDonald, who is known for directing the TV series Slasher from 2016. Some pretty damn cool trivia there. I like that. I, I, I had a really good time with this film. I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad I watched it. I know Austin likes it too. Shout out to Austin. Osmatics. Let's go. Released November 17th, 2023, came out, what, uh, going on a, a week ago as of this recording when this comes out, whether it be tonight or tomorrow. Also known as Bloody Thanksgiving. Filmed in Port Perry, Ontario, Canada. Production companies, Cream Productions. Nice, I hope Eric Clapton's involved with that. All right, only classic rock people probably know that one. Anyway, Ethereal Visage Productions, Spyglass Media Group, Box Office, Gross. Excuse me, this is what they uh, had for a budget. 24 Point one nine three million opening weekend as of uh what going on a week ago now was they grossed 10.3 million so they're not far behind it hasn't been in theaters very long so all right what do we got here thanksgiving was released 
by TriStar on November 17, 2023. Generally positive reviews from critics and has grossed over 29 million. So clearly their numbers don't match what uh, Wikipedia has to say for me. All right. Production-wise, actor-director Eli Roth created the movie trailer <clears throat> for Grindhouse 2010. Roth told Cinemaband that he was the, writing the script with Jeff Rendell that he hoped to complete it once he was done with press for The Last Exorcism as of 2010, 13 years ago, going on 14. By August 2012, John Watts, Chris D. Ford were set to write the screenplay with Roth and Rendell after they finished writing Roth-produced Clown 2014. I feel like that's an underrated, uh, interesting kind of a horror film. I, I enjoyed that one. Uh, in June 2016, Roth revealed on Reddit that the script still needed work in order for the film to live up to the trailer. In February of 2019, reports indicated that Roth was stated to direct an undisclosed horror film for Miramax. The next month in Boston, Massachusetts, bloody disgusting, speculated that the film could potentially be Thanksgiving, but was unable to verify. As of January of this year, Deadline Hollywood reported that Spyglass Media Group was producing the film. Roth would depart from Borderlands. Uh, I, I'm taking it that that is in reference to the video game. That's pretty cool. I, I did not know that. Passing additional photography off to Tim Miller in order to direct the film. <clears throat> All right. Uh, filming took place from March 13th to May 5th as of this year in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, as I've stated. Box office. What do we got here? 29.1 million. Okay. All right. 24 in the U.S. and Canada and 4.9 in other territories. Well, I mean, I can see it not necessarily being as important in other territories because U.S. is... Well, I guess Canada, I think, in October, they celebrate Thanksgiving. We're, like, the only territories that really celebrate the holiday. So, anyway, review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes, 82%. I agree with you there. I'm happy about that. Critics review are positive with an average of a 6.8 out of 10. Website's consensus reads, combining belly bushing, bushing. What the fuck kind of word is bushing? Oh, there's your one. I can't speak English. Busting humor with delightfully over-the-top gore. Thanksgiving is a feast for Grindhouse fans. Agreed. Metacritic, using a weighted average, assigned the film a score of 63 out of 100, indicating generally favorable reviews. Audiences surveyed by Cinema Score, I don't know why I'm talking like this, whoops, <laughs> gave the film an average grade B- on an 8F scale, while those polled by Posttrack gave it a 73% overall positive score. And yeah, I can agree with that. Thanksgiving is well worth your time if you like old school slashers, or at least new films that kind of have that like old school vibe. Vibe, Yeah, it was it was cool. Very good storytelling, very good practical effects. Just a fun movie all around. Okay. I heard about this Criterion Collection film, and it's kind of like a predecessor to, I guess, Train Spotting, if you will. Not really directed by Danny Boyle, who also directed Train Spotting, but uh, Shallow Grave, 1994. I only say Train Spotting because Ewan McGregor is also in this film. <sighs> Rated R, hour 29, 7.3 out of 65,000. And uh, it, it was good. It was interesting. A very kind of like dark comedy crime drama thriller of a uh, early to mid 90s uh ewan mcgregor film well I, I guess i can really only say that because i mean do you know carrie fox or christopher eccleston i mean i i feel like i haven't seen them really in anything else to be honest with you but anyway moving on who else is in this in terms of british acting that i recognize nobody really else to be honest with you okay all right, storyline. Three friends in Edinburgh, Scotland interview and select a new flatmate because there's three of them living in this flat and they uh, select a new guy. He's hardly moved in, in and then they discover him dead in his room. An ethical dilemma ensues when they discover that he has possessed a large amount of cash in a suitcase. Things get worse as the men whose money it was and they search for it and the three friends start to turn on each other. That, yeah, that was an interesting aspect of the film. Uh, taglines. The award-winning thriller that'll bury you with laughs. It's part of the Criterion Collection and... I love watching these Criterion Collection films because the majority of the time they are just, well, 
clearly in the right place in the right collection because they're just intriguing to watch. Tribuli. Such were the budgetary constraints on this shoot. The production had to auction off various props in order to raise enough money to buy essential film stock needed to complete the picture. That's sad. I didn't know that. The film was most commercially successful British film of 95. I believe that. Danny Boyle knew he had hit on his hands. Yeah. Excuse me. Had a hit on his hands. I can't read English, apparently. When the film debuted in the Cannes Film Festival and the organizer had to set up three extra screenings just to meet the demand. According to director Danny Boyle, there's a slight connection between this film and his next film, Train Spotting, as I've mentioned, two years later, 96. Keith Allen <clears throat> portrays a drug dealer in both films, leading us to believe that he may be the same character featured in both, as Train Spotting was supposed to take place in the late 80s before the occurrences in Shallow Grave. Oh, so this is almost like a successor to Train Spotting, even though, okay, I see that. And then Train Spotting was supposed to take place in the 80s, even though it was made after the fact. Okay, I like that. That's cool. Lastly, Danny Boyle has stated that the film that he directed, this is his father's favorite, and that whenever a new film directed by a Boyle Jr. is released, including Slumdog Millionaire, didn't know he did that too, that's awesome, which won the Academy Award for Best Picture and Best Director, he asks Boyle's senior uh, opinion, his father. Review is always the same. It was good, but it's not as good as Shallow Grave. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Almost just like rubbing it in his face. That's, that's still pretty cool that they do that though. All right, what do we got here? What do we got? Released February 10th, 1995 in the U.S. <clears throat> Filmed in Northbridge, Edinburgh, Scotland, U.K. Produced by Channel 4 Films, the Glasgow Film Fund, and Figment Films. Its budget was $2.5 million U.S. estimated, and it grossed only $2,079,000. So it was under budget, but even though it has a great score, and apparently it's well-known enough to get part of the uh, Criterion Collection, like I said, it has a 7.3 out of 65,000. It was a solid film. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad that I watched it. <clears throat> Production was uh, funded by Channel 4 TV and Polygram Film Entertainment. The film was distributed by Rank Film Distributors in the UK, while Columbia TriStar Film Distributors International... God, I'm tired of saying distributed. Jeez. The film in other countries, Shallow Grey, received generally favorable reviews from critics and was a commercial success, grossing $19.8 million worldwide. Okay, well, here on Wiki, it's saying that the budget was 2.5 and the box office uh, gross was 19.8. So it grossed, what, 6 point, I can do math, or 16 point, no, 17, uh, whatever, fuck it, doesn't matter. It, it, it made more than what it started with. How about that? Fuck math. <laughs> Shooting for Shallow Grave lasted for only 30 days. The tight budgetary restraints during filming meant many of the props had to be auctioned off for them to afford sufficient film stock, as I've already mentioned. Uh, Danny Boyle said in his commentary on 2009 special edition DVD and 2012 Blu-ray that Alex is not meant to be dead. So the line of Alex saying hello to the detective was added in post-production to clarify this. That's true, because when you see it, he has the knife in his shoulder, and he's clearly not dead. And he has a smile on his face. He's, he knows, I really don't want to spoil it. I don't want, I'm not going to, as much as it's, in the, it's on the back of my tongue, I don't feel like uh, spoiling it. I would say watch this one. Shallow Grave is well worth your time. The crew shot predominantly in Glasgow rather than Edinburgh, which is where the story is set, since the Glasgow Film Fund gave them £150,000. Uh, that's basically an equivalent of £306,000 by today's grant. Located in Flat 6 Northeast Circus Place in Newtown, Edinburgh, hospital scenes were filmed at Royal Alexandra in Paisley, Renfrewshire. I Excuse my English, even with their English, geez. The dance scene was filmed at Townhouse Motel 54 West George Street near George Square in Glasgow. Receptively, the film was a success in Europe, but grossed a total of 2.8 in the U.S. Well, their number is wrong here, according to what I saw. It says 2.9, but whatever. Maybe they're rounding. 
Shallow Grave earned Boyle the Best Newcomer Award from 1996 London Film Critics Circle altogether with Train Spotting, led to the critical commercial commentary that Boyle had revitalized British cinema in the early 1990s. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Review aggregator, <clears throat> of course, here we go. Rotten Tomatoes, 71%. Surprise is not higher or lower considering they give everything a fucking shit review. <laughs> With an average rating of 6.3 out of 10, website's consensus reads, this black humor thriller features characters who are more obnoxious than clever. Eh, yes and no. In, in certain sequences, sure, but not throughout the entirety of the film, in my opinion. During the second half, the movie descends into gratuitous violence. Yeah, yeah, it does. I'll, I'll give them that. Uh, Metacritic, the film has a weighted average score of 67 out of 100, indicating generally favorable reviews. Yeah, okay. Roger Ebert, ooh, the Chicago Sun-Times, here we go, gave it a two out of four, wrote, all of the materials are in place, but somehow they never come together. It, it's, it does have some aspects of it being a little wonky, sure, but it, overall it's still good, so in my opinion, of course. Uh, New York Times, Janet Maslin, critical of the film, and said, misanthropy overwhelms his film in ways that prove more sour than droll, despite the precipice of skillful actors and bizarrely enveloping plot. That has some truth to it, but not entirely, in my opinion. All right. That's what I have on Shallow Grave. I would uh, highly recommend it. Danny Boyle, same guy who did Train Spotting two years later. It's pretty cool that they are relatively connected by uh, Alex's uh, portrayal done by Ewan McGregor. Go watch it any which way you can. All right. Uh, Child's Play 2019. I uh, decided to finally finish it. I had about maybe an hour left. I'm not too fond of it, but I will. <laughs> I'll talk about it. It, it was okay. I mean, it had some redeeming qualities here and there, but I, I didn't like the way that the doll looked. I didn't, I mean, I like Mark Hamill. I do. Uh, I don't know. The acting was bad. The plot was just kind of dumb. I, I, I don't know. It was just all over the place. I've definitely watched uh, better Chucky's. I still am partial to the original trilogy, personally. Uh, Bread of Chucky, it's a guilty pleasure for me, I suppose. I haven't seen the TV series. Uh, it has a 5.7 out of 56,000. A mother gives her 13-year-old son a toy doll for his birthday, unaware of its more sinister nature. Guess who the name of the boy? His name's Andy, just like the old films, right? All right, anyway. Directed by Lars Klevberg. What a, what a name. Sounds like a Russian, I don't know, alternative band. <laughs> uh, what else did he do? Uh, nothing else that I know of, so all right, moving on. Maybe he shouldn't direct then. <laughs> I'm just kidding, that's terrible. I'm, I'm being rude, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't recognize anybody in Aubrey Plaza. I take that back. She plays the mom. Uh, and Trent Reddick cop, the guy who plays like the weird, I don't know, security guard at the bottom of like the apartment flat. I guess he's kind of like, like a janitor who's in charge of all the electronics or some shit. I don't know. He looked a lot. I thought it was Jack Black. That dude looks a lot like Jack Black. I'm sure he hears that all the time. So shout out to Trent Reddick cop, rent a cop, whatever the fuck his name is. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, all right, here we go. Uh, taglines, more than a toy, he's your best friend. I'm surprised that hasn't been used already in a previous uh, Child's Play-related film. Anyway, truly, let's take a look here. Don Mancini, the creator of the characters and the series, is not involved in this film and has, along with uh, Alex Vincent, Christine Elise, and Jennifer Tilly, expressed lack of interest in it. More power to them, thank you, because without their contribution, there wouldn't even be this film that we decided to watch and talk about right now, which is what I'm doing. The original creators of Chucky and every sequel before this decided to do a separate television series to continue the storyline there. And I'm glad they did. I haven't watched it yet. I hear good things. I will have to get to that eventually. Mark Hamill previously voiced Chucky in the television series Robot Chicken 2001. The episode Plastic Buffet 2005. 
So I guess that makes sense why he was interested. But then again, Mark Hamill does a lot of voices. I mean, he does skips on uh, the gorilla on a um, regular show. I mean, he did the Joker. We all know that Mark Hamill is well known in the uh, voice acting community. Anyway, Tom Holland, the director of the original film, posted on Twitter about Mark Hamill's casting of Chucky as a smart move. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's Mark Hamill, dude. Come on. The horror film that the kids are watching with Chucky interpreting it is the Chexus Chainsaw... Chexus. I just said Chexus. Yeah, it's fucking Chex Mix Chainsaw Massacre 2, 1986. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with me? Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 with uh, Dennis Hopper. I love that film. That's probably my favorite within the original uh, quadrilogy, if you will. I think I've already mentioned that before on previous episodes. For those of you who have been listening to me for a while, I would probably go 2, 1... Fuck, that's tough. Because three and four, they're kind of similar. That's tough. I mean, you can ask me tomorrow, and I'll say two, one, three, four. But today, I'm gonna say two, one, four, three. Yeah, the second. I mean, I love the first one, of course, of course. 1974, Toby Hooper, 75, whatever year it was. But uh, I don't know. There's something about the second one. It's just so goofy. I love that one. Anyway, released June 21st, 2019. Also spoken in Vietnamese. Apparently, it was released over there as well. Filmed Vancouver, British Canada. British Canada, British Columbia, Canada. God, I'm sober and I can't even fucking speak English. What the hell's wrong with me? Budget, $10 million and it grossed $44 million because apparently people love this classic uh, horror anthology, I guess, if you will. And uh, yeah, it just you guys aren't missing anything, in my opinion. You know, for some of you guys who listen to my show are probably fans of this one. And it was just, eh. It was just, eh. I've definitely watched better uh, Child's Play adaptations. Okay. <clears throat> production in the early 2010s before Chris Chucky started his development a planned remake of the original 88 Child's Play was announced with Brad Dourif set to reprise his role as Chucky hell yeah there isn't much information about that remake but it was subsequently cancelled one of the few things that were known is that it would have taken place around Christmas like the original MGM Metro Golden Mayor announced that the development of a Child's Play remake in July of 2018 with a different creative team than the original film series well that explains why it probably sucks in my opinion of course Polaroid director <clears throat> Lars Kleberg signed on with a script by Tyler Burton-Smith following his work in Quantum Break. It and It Chapter 2 collaborative team Seth Graham-Smith, David Katzenberg served as producers. Okay. Principal photography began September 17th, wrapped on November 18th of 2018. Wow, so only, they only shot fucking two months, whatever. Uh, Excuse me. In Vancouver. Reshoots occurred December 15th and 16th as of April 2019. Masters Effects Visual Effects Company took six weeks to prepare and assemble seven practical animatronic puppets, I believe that, each with interchangeable arms and heads that performed a variety of required actions on set, with some help from Pixelmondo, who provided the CGI for the film. And there's very little CGI in this film, too. I think one of the, my favorite uh, practical effects works was uh, when that guy who's like a cheating dad or whatever, he's trying to put up Christmas lights and falls off the ladder and you see his like ankles like snap. Oh, it was... I was like, ooh, and then, like, Chucky just runs over his head with, like, I don't know, it looks like a rototiller or something. Some sort of lawnmower device just runs his head over, and that shit was awesome. Uh, Bear McCreary composed the score through a toy orchestra inspired by Chucky's Toy Store origins with toy pianos, hurdy-gurdies, accordions, plastic guitars, and uh, automatones. Uh, automaton? Yeah, I think is the, I forget. I know what the device is. I just, I'm, like, arguing with myself, like, shut up. <laughs> I just don't know how to pronounce it. I think automaton? A tomato? Whatever. A tomato. Sure. They're using uh, Revenge of the Killer Tomatoes as a uh, instrument. Got it. The soundtrack was released by Waxwork Records on vinyl, which featured liner notes by the composer. Marketing. The first official image of Chucky was released September 29th, 2018. A teaser poster released November 12th, same year, revealing that the film's adaptation, The Good Guy's Doll, would be called Buddy, referencing the My Buddy doll that influenced the original character's design. Cool. 
I get the uh, reference. I like that. A Wi-Fi symbol over the eye, and Buddy teases the character's high-tech functions. And that was cool, but it wasn't at the same time. You know, Chucky had like a little glowing, tiny fucking finger vibrator. <laughs> Whatever. Being similar to robot toys such as Furby and RoboSapien. Why is RoboSapien even a thing? I can't believe I even read that. That just sounds awful. <laughs> Orion Pictures launched a marketing website for the fictional Caslon Corporation ahead of the film's release. The first trailer premiered on February 8th, 2019 with the release of The Prodigy. Okay. Home Media released digitally September 10th and Blu-ray DVD on September 24th as of 2019. Box office at a 15.8 million uh, gross in other territories for a worldwide gross of 45 million and the U.S. gross 29 million. Critical response brought in tomato 64%. Sites consensus reads updates on 80s horror icon of Internet Things era with predictably gruesome and generally entertaining results. In in some regard, yes. Like I said, there are some redeemable factors that I enjoy. Just overall, I don't know, man. I'm just sorry, guys. I'm just kind of a gatekeeper for everything old. I just like old stuff. I always have. Moving on. Metacritic, using a weighted average, assigned the film score 48 out of 100. Mixed or average reviews, and I can agree with that. Anyway, possible sequel. Okay, let's read up on that. A, at WonderCon, Graham Smith said that if the film does well, they would love to make a sequel. Director Lars Kleberg discussed his ideas for a possible sequel. <clears throat> he uh, states, For me, this was just trying to make the best of the movie possible, like never foreshadowing any detailed plan of where you want to go as a franchise. But yeah, for me... I think I love the buddy bear concept. Yeah, that was pretty cool that you got to see those like uh, teddy bears at the end in, in the store just basically go batshit crazy. In July of 2020, Clubberg said that he would love to make a sequel, but due to Don Mancini creating the Chucky TV series, it was unlikely. Oh, I guess I got ahead of myself here. Well, anyway, that's all I got on uh, Child's Play 2019. All right, I got two more uh, <clears throat> films that are classic that uh, I've definitely watched a couple times, but it's been a long time since I watched them, and I was like, you know what? I showed these two to a buddy, and uh, I want to talk about them. I know what you did last summer. 1997, rated R, hour 41, has a 5 point at 156,000. It was clearly on the tail end of right when, like, Scream came out in 1996, because then there was this. There was, what, Urban Legend. Uh, I still know what you did last summer. Like, they were trying to recreate that, like, 90s kind of vibe of, like, slashers, where uh, Scream clearly just took everything by storm in terms of this era of uh, slashers. And they tried, came out a year later, and it's, eh, it's whatever. Uh, four young friends bound by a tragic accident are reunited when they find themselves being stalked by a hook-wielding maniac in their small seaside town. Directed by Jim Gillespie. Let's see what else this individual did. Uh, I don't recognize anything. All right, moving on. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, starring Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Haish. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of classic people in this. Uh, Ryan Felipe. I mean, so many of these guys did a lot of stuff um, like uh, Cruel Intentions and so forth together. Uh, Bridget Wilson Sampras, uh, who's also the uh, blonde female from who plays uh, Sonya Blade in the first Mortal Kombat 95, and then also in Billy Madison. Uh, Bridget, yeah, Bridget Wilson Sampras is her name. Uh, Johnny Galecki plays Max. He was also the little boy in a Christmas Vacation. He's in this as well. Uh, G. Don Ferguson as MC. He's also a well-known actor. Who else am I looking at here? I don't recognize anybody else. All right, moving on. Ah, Final Destination. That was the other one that I was thinking of that was around this era of trying to revitalize horror, I guess, if you will. Taglines here. He's got a hook on them. Ha, ha, ha. All right. Trivially, let's take a look here. Kevin Williamson wrote the script before Scream in 1996. Interesting, but wasn't able to sell it at the time. 
So I wonder if this film came out prior, and obviously it's a hypothetical, if this film came out first, it would be as, you know, clearly a big cult status following compared to Scream. Interesting. Uh, following the big screen success of his next screenplay, Scream, Columbia Pictures immediately bought I Know What You Did Last Summer in 97. This is the reason many critics and fans felt this was a huge step down from his more clever and innovative Scream scripts. Okay, well... Despite being part of the main cast and appearing at many key scenes together, the characters Her uh, Helen, Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, and Ray, Freddie Prince Jr., only speak to each other twice. Ray, how do you know that? Helen. Well, I'm not going to read their uh, fucking <laughs> dialogue. Anyway, despite the fact that the two barely interact on screen, Gellar and Prince became good friends in meeting on this film. They later fell in love and have been married ever since. Uh, that was obvious. I didn't need to read their lines. Whatever. The ice inside the storage of the boat was actually made of gelatin, so Jennifer Love Hewitt could comfortably move around inside. Interesting. Uh, Miss Hewitt had appeared along former Scream Queen Jamie Lee Curtis in House Arrest 97 prior to filming this film and was surprised to see that she was also filming a movie in North Carolina at the same time. Jennifer said that Jamie came over to the soundstage to wish her luck on her first horror film and would come over every day after that to give her a hug. That's cool, man. Jamie Lee Curtis seems like such a down-to-earth woman. That's awesome. Writer Lois Duncan was vehemently opposed to her young adult uh, novel being reworked into a slasher film, stating that she was appalled in one interview. That's awesome. <laughs> this is due to the fact that her youngest daughter was murdered by an unknown assailant in 89. Oh, okay. Well, now I feel like an ass. I didn't know. She said, as the mother of a murdered child, I don't find violent death something to squeal and giggle about. Her original book wasn't that far off from a slasher, though. It's still a bunch of guilty teenagers being stalked and terrorized by a murderous madman. It's just that nobody dies in her version. So in the sense, it's more like an old school mystery. That's interesting. I would be interested in reading the book. I mean, clearly it's it's like similar but it's also far off so that's wow i didn't know that so lois duncan's i know what you did last summer i'm gonna have to look that one up did not know it was a novel but then again most books are usually adapted to film and vice versa or they make books after the fact of movies okay released october 17th 1997 filmed in uh, jenner california usa Produced by Mandalay Entertainment, original film and Summer Knowledge LLC. Budget $17 million and it grossed $125 million worldwide despite its 5.7 fucking rating. Wow. Well, it was just one of those things. They kind of revitalized horror. Like, it fell off for a little bit. Early 91, I'd say, like, after the 80s, they were like, all right, we're done with slashers. We had a decade of it, if not a little longer, because 70s also started it. I mean, hell, 1960 with Peeping Tom and Psycho. Okay, anyway, I could talk about this all night. But, yeah, they clearly... That's crazy. All right. Let's see what Wiki has to say here. Okay. The killer's uh, arming of himself with a hook is a reference to the urban legend The Hook, which the four main characters recount at the beginning of the film around a campfire. According to Williamson, he wrote that the scene is as a way of indicating what was to come. Basically, what I was doing was setting the framework to say, all right, audience, that's the legend. Now, here's a new one. That's cool. I like the uh, little metaphor there. Unlike Williams' screenplay for the film's contemporary Scream, which incorporated satire of the slasher film I Know What You Did Last Summer, was written more as a straightforward slasher. Right. Gillespie commented in 2008, The joy of this film for me as a filmmaker was in taking the elements that we've seen before and saying to the audience, here's something you've seen before, knowing that they're saying we've seen this before and still getting them to jump. And that's honestly the same, you know, formula that I feel like horror writers have been using ever since 2008. I know you've seen this before, but let's try and see if we can still get you to jump. And uh, allegedly it's working, depending on the film you watch. 
Gillespie also claimed that he felt Williamson's screenplay did not resemble a slasher horror film and that he saw it rather simply as a really good story with a morality tale embedded within it. Okay, right, I guess I could see that. Post-production. <clears throat> Chose to film virtually no on-screen blood as he did not want the film to be overly gratuitous in terms of violence. The scene in which Elsa has her uh, throat slashed while standing against a glass door has originally been shot from behind without any blood appearing on the glass. However, producer Feig, what a name, F-E-I-G, Feig, Feig, whatever, Fig Newton is his name, sure, worried that this, <laughs> the scene appeared medically impossible, after which Gillespie uh, reshot post-principal photography with a visual effect of blood splattering across the glass. Upon testing screens, uh, screenings of this film, Gillespie and the producers decided the death sequence needed to occur earlier in the film to establish a sense of legitimate danger for the main characters. The original ending of the film featured a sequence in which Julie receives an email reading, I still know. The ending was scrapped for more dramatic ending, featuring the final cut of the film in which Julie finds the same message scrawled on the shower stall just before the killer comes crashing through the glass. Footage was also shot after principal photography on a soundstage next door to where Hewitt was filming Party of Five. Uh, receptively, when we got here, critical response, Rotten Tomatoes, 45%. I'm not surprised. What else we got here? Rod Reaver gave the movie one out of four stars. Nice. The best shot in this film is the first one. Not a good sign. <laughs> uh, that's fucking funny. <laughs> I think I might, oh, Leonard Malton, here we go. Movie historian Leonard Malton gave the film two out of four stars, described it as too routine to succeed overall. Despite being based on a young adult novel, this is absolutely not for kids. Still, it's a classic compared to the sequel. Yeah, I, I, I'll give him that. That's fucking funny. Oh, my gosh. Uh, TV adaptation? What? Adaptation novel released October 2021 with Neil H. Moritz and James Wan producing the Shea Hatton writing the pilot. Amazon ordered a straight-to-series order in October 2020. Did not know that. Wow. That's fucking interesting. It was also spoofed in the Simpsons episode Treehouse Horror 10. As I know what you did, diddly Italy did nice Ned Flanders as a killer. That's fucking awesome. I'm going to close out that movie with that. Good old Ned Flanders. Oakley doakley. Fucking love The Simpsons. All right. I decided to rewatch Scary Movie, the first one. Came out in 2000. I can't believe that. Uh, rated R, hour and 20. It has a 6.3 out of 281,000. It's clearly not the first uh, spoof uh, comedy, but it's definitely worth your time. It's a classic. A year after disposing of the body of a man that accidentally killed a group of dumb teenagers are stalked by a bumbling serial killer. I said. <laughs> Directed by Keenan Ivory Waynes. I mean, come on, dude. Everybody knows the Waynes brothers, dude. Come on, fucking. Uh, Blank Man, Major Pain. I mean, Bulletproof, which was Damon Waynes uh, in Living Color. I mean, come on, guys. Starring Anna Faris, uh, John Abrams, and Marlon Waynes, of course, as Shorty. Oh, shit, son. I mean, dude, it's, it's, it's iconic. Like, what do... What do I need? You know, let's take a look at trivia because maybe there's something that I don't know. At around 54 minutes when Ray and Brenda are in the movie theater, the preview screen reads, the following P-view, that's funny, has been S-proved <laughs> for immature audiences only. That's awesome. I didn't. I guess I didn't catch that. If you can read this, you are too close. Pee-pee-poo-poo, boogers, farts, butthole. <laughs> Rated I for immature. That's hilarious. We thought it would be funny to put that there. Kiss our ass and take it off. Pause. That's hilarious. The original script featured a cameo role for Jamie Lee Curtis as Cindy would discover her hiding in a closet in her house where the killer was chasing her up the stairs. That's That would have been cool if she was in that, but it's all good. In around 42 minutes, the lunchroom menu at the high school reads same old shit. I didn't catch that one. That's hilarious. At around six minutes is one of the first scenes in Cindy's bedroom. She says, would like to have a little bump bump. This line was originally written for Scream in 1986, but was later changed to would you like to have a little raw footage. Ah, okay. Scary Movie was the working title of Scream in 96, the main movie that they parodied. 
That's interesting. I don't think I knew that. That's actually really cool. I'm glad that I read that trivia. That's fucking hilarious, too, some of the shit that I read. All right, released July 7th, 2000. Also known as I Know What You Did Last Halloween. I don't know what country, but anyway, uh, I still, eh, I still think Scary Movie is probably the best title. Uh, filmed in uh, Richmond, British Columbia, Canada. Produced by Dimension, Wayne's Brothers Entertainment, and Gold Miller Productions. Box office, 19 million. Grossed, 278 million. Well done, because, God, man, it's easily, like, I guess, in terms of our generation's spoof comedy, it's one of the best ones, if not the best one next to like not another team movie kung pao all that type anyway i can talk about this stuff forever which uh, what i hope to do until i die right that'd be nice uh what do we got here produced the screenplay was developed by sean waynes and marlon waynes with a buddy johnson and phil bowman writers for the sitcom the waynes brothers at the same time miramax was developing a spoof of screen scripted by jason friedberg and aaron seltzer uh, all six writers were credited despite friedberg and seltzer not actually working on the film script Anna Ferris had graduated from the University of Washington at the time and planned to travel to London, but instead decided to go to L.A. after meeting with some managers. She then auditioned for the film and booked her first acting job. Wow, so she's only been acting 23 years. Okay. Keenan had rejected many other actresses and was willing to take the chance on Ferris, despite her lack of experience because of her instinctual performance. He said that she had a natural innocence and was funny. Jenny McCarthy and Melissa Joan Hart auditioned for the part of Drew Decker before Carmen Electra was cast. <laughs> Yeah, I could definitely see uh, Jenny McCarthy. Melissa, maybe not so much. I mean, you know, of course, Sabrina and Clarissa and whatnot. But anyway. Uh, films parodied overall. So I know what you did. Uh, Scream, Scream 2, Scream 3, Sixth Sense, Blair Witch, Halloween, of course. Uh, Friday the 13th. Yeah, I remember that part. Okay, The Shining. Yep, Red Room. I definitely remember that. Matrix, of course. Usual Suspects. The ending parodies. Uh, the twist ending. Okay. Uh, Psycho, of course. And Candyman. I definitely remember that as well okay uh, critical response review aggregators Rotten Tomato 51% and eh, they can fuck off because this movie's a classic saying that scary movie overloads on crudity and grossness to get its laughs but then again you give it such a shitty review and you sound like happy about it whatever Metacritic, the film received a score of 48 out of 32 reviews. How is that an improper fraction? Whatever. Indicating mixed or average reviews, audiences polled by CinemaScore giving the film a B- on an 8F scale. It's it's a classic, classic, classic comedy. All right, well, there you have it, guys. I talked uh, two games and plenty of films that I watched, uh, episode 107. Hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving, and uh, <clears throat> I will talk to you guys next time. As always, thank you for the love and support. Enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you.